0: Welcome one and all to episode 204 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the single wild joker episode of the SLS cast. Because it turns out that in a poker deck with a single wild joker, there are 204 hands that are at least as good. As a straight flush. And with that wonderful little bit of single wild joker knowledge, I, of course, am Matt, And coming to us all the way from sunny but no longer spooky California would be our resident Sony employee. Tim, uh, in
1: no longer spooky is right since today, I believe, is still November the 1st. How was your Halloween? Yes.
0: As we record this, it is truly still November first um it was honestly, it was very uneventful. Um, my schedule for Monday nights is ancient history uh at the Woodland Center for Sam Houston State University uh so I did not partake in any Halloween festivities at all, uh, but fortunately, I also didn't have to go to work, which apparently was an ever loving goddamn nightmare because the Texans won on Sunday for football, which means that it was 50% off on Monday and also Halloween. And, uh, one of my friends who works there called me after work and said, Oh my God, it was such a, it was such a mess. And I'm like, really, how bad was it? He said, we were, uh, when I left just now, we were on order 516. And that's a lot of orders for a pizza place, yo. Like, uh, this is one of the busiest stores in the Houston area. And like a super oh my God, busy Saturday is like two hundred and eighty two hundred and ninety, so and that's like when they're doing thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars just that day um
1: do they so, do they make pretty good cash or do they walk out with thirty five bucks at the end of the day
0: um i well, my buddy said he did pretty well, but this was uh. But, I mean, he he said it was a crapshoot. One guy took a 20-pizza order and got stiffed. So it was pretty rough for some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I think, well, I take that back. I overshot that. We usually do, like, on a really super busy Saturday, we do maybe like 9 or 10, not 12 or 13. Yesterday we probably did like 13. But, yeah, it was ridiculous. Impressive. And so... Yeah. So my my yesterday was uneventful. My kids got to go out and trick or treat and have a good time, and um, everybody who was working where I worked had a miserable day. What
1: did they? What did your What did your girls uh, go as? Were they all uh, Harley Quinns from
0: Suicide Squad? Oh yeah, of course. All the way down to the booty shorts and everything. Because <laughs> um, apparently
1: that's a thing for little girls to go trick or treating as Harley Quinn. That's got to be super awkward for the dad, unless the dad wanted that to be a thing, and that just becomes super creepy.
0: Yeah, that is definitely not how that went down. I'm actually looking up the pictures. We have... uh, I had a witch for my youngest. My middle daughter was a vampire. And my oldest daughter was a, looks like a, a a 50s dancing girl. So, like, she's wearing the poodle skirt and a little button-up top and the Mary Janes or whatever. That's
1: super classy. I, I definitely hand it to them. Those are three very classic Halloween costumes.
0: Yeah. Chloe was really excited to wear the vampire teeth. I think that was pretty much... <laughs> what? why she want to do the vampire thing did she go around and try to bite people yeah I, I you know what i haven't had a chance to talk to them because um i had to study for i had class all day and had to study for an exam um and they had girl scouts tonight so i still haven't even gotten to properly debrief from last night <laughs> since you weren't able to
1: celebrate halloween last night like me you were able to celebrate in some way over the weekend though
0: Yes, this is correct. We went out to a friend of mine's house and had um uh, and had uh, and he had a big huge uh Halloween party. Well, actually, they it's a couple friends of huge. ours. And yeah, it really was. I mean, these people like imagine if Clark Griswold was about, was all about Halloween instead of Christmas. That's this place. Cool. I mean, yeah. And um, he he also restores cars, so he had two of his restored cars sitting right up in the driveway. Um, and then, of course, they had a gangster theme, and they didn't care what kind of gangster <laughs> you were, as long as it was. So, like, he was dressed up like um, you know a '90s gang- uh, gangster with the long jeans and the white t-shirt, and he had a red bandana on his head, you know, with a with a uh, plastic. Uh, 45 in his pocket and everything, so he was styling like that. But his wife, uh, she was a flapper girl from the gangster area, gangster era of the 20s, um, and yeah, all these different kinds of people. And then, of course, you had people like me who didn't dress up. But I mean, it was everybody. People who hey, loved man, to dress you're up, gangster who, enough, you know? Oh when, yeah, that's right. Every time
1: yeah. when you walk down the street, people walk on the other side of the street because they're afraid you might shiv them. Is, is that wait? Shit, shank, shank them. I think Shiv is like making a Shiv so you can perform tasks to help you unlock doors in video games.
0: Yeah, Shanko. Oh, I thought Shank was I thought the Shank was the deal and you shift him. I don't know either way. Um so yeah. So but it was fun. They had a big huge bouncy house in the uh in the back for the kids. Uh, so you could bring kids over. Was it a gangster and...
1: bouncy house? Was it like was a bouncy house Tupac's head?
0: <laughs> no. Um, was it the
1: streets of Compton with needles everywhere?
0: No, oh. no, this is in Katy. So it was a very nice neighborhood and everything and nice house and all that good stuff. But, um, it was really cool because there was a whole bunch of, um, people from across the street because apparently they know all the neighbors and stuff. And so they came over and of course, uh, they were dressed up like, um, Easy and Ice Cube and stuff like that. And uh one of them was dressed up like Freddie, one of them was dressed up like uh uh Jason uh Voorhees, and so we got to talking and stuff and um I showed him a picture. I guess this might be pertinent to the story, because he's a black dude. And so I was like, Hey, did you see that picture on Reddit about the Black Friday the thirteenth? And he's like, No, no. So I showed him a picture, we were and we had a nice laugh about that, and then um, when I left because we had had this conversation in private so when I left I was like, "Freddie, alright, see you later and I was like, easy, alright, see you later and we're all talking and everything and then I was like, alright, all right, Black Friday the 13th, you have a great and they just all started laughing like and then half, and then like half the white people who were there were kind of like mortified that I had said that. But <laughs> <laughs> this dude, this dude's friends and family, uh, who were black were laughing their asses off. And then of course he was just like, yeah, what's up? Because he got the joke, right? Cause it was our little thing from a conversation from before. So that was good. So I got to make a splash on the way out. And, um, yeah. I just
1: wish and you were so. wearing that red do-rag when you said that. <laughs> that would have been great.
0: But uh,
1: <laughs> I ended up this year, uh, like last year, uh, on Saturday night, Mean significant other, we went to Tarantino's New Beverly Theater and attended one of his all-night movie macabras. Uh, but this year, we actually knew what was playing, and they were, uh, I guess, comedy horror films. And the lineup that we actually stayed to see was um, Love at First Bite, the excellent George Hamilton comedy from the 1980s spoof on Dracula, where he gets evicted from his Transylvanian castle, and he has to, uh, he's not forced to, but he decides to move with Renfield to New York City to find his love. Uh, The second movie was An American Werewolf in London, and the third movie that we stayed to see was Beetlejuice. So that was a bitchin' time, had a lot of fun, but... What really capped the holiday, the Halloween season off for me though, was Sunday night because Monday night uh, we we kind of laid low pretty much, you know, because it's Monday. Who who can have fun on Halloween when it's a Monday when you have to go to work the next morning or go to school? You just can't. It, it's different when Halloween's on a Wednesday. It, that has a, that has a better ring to it than Monday. But Sunday night, I went to go see Alice Cooper in concert and. I gotta say, if you're a fan of that kind of music, or even Alice Cooper himself, do yourself a favor. Next time he's around town, do check him out. He's just a lot of fun. Because it's a show. It's a stage show. And he's the guy that started theatrics when it came to uh, rock concerts. So it was, it was pretty cool. So I, I had a pretty eventful weekend leading up to Halloween. Well, I'm glad we both were able to do something in a fun, Halloween-spirited way.
0: Me too, but I think your weekend was still better than mine, so I just'll take
1: it I wish I could have made that comment to a random <laughs> guy and and pull it off the way you did
0: i <laughs> uh, you know i i I guess I don't know just it is what it is, you know, so let's see here we we both have news of the weird. As it turns out, in the rare circumstance where that ever happens. We both have news of the weird. But we also have mail and followers to talk about. So what do we do first? Let's uh, do the mail and the followers so then let us go to the mailbox. Yes, of course, the show at slscast.com, where you too can send email. Uh, and and of course, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that by following us at the SLScast. But we don't even just have a follower on Twitter. Um, as, as people may or may not have figured out that uh, when you – we are actually – all of our audio is hosted through Podbean. And so we actually have the capability of being followed on Podbean if you're so inclined but um that's usually such a um tertiary way to follow us that it's not worth mentioning and yet yet and yet Safi Yab 2009 is now following us on uh Podbean so Outstanding. Thank you so much, Safiab2009. That's S-A-F-I-Y-A-B2009. Um, so outstanding. Please feel free to follow us on Twitter as well, if you like, or just stay tuned to us on pod, being like you are. We appreciate that follow. Also, we have Anthony, which is at under, uh, London underscore clocks. Uh, he's following us now and he's following us via Twitter. And this is a guy that searches for London street clocks. And then he photographs them and then makes sure that the register that the location's registered. So if you are really into old clocks or just clocks in general, then definitely you should be doing stuff with Anthony. Uh, so thank you very much for those wonderful follow, uh, for those follows and stuff. Um, now we have the email to read, and it's actually from Johnny White Trash. And this is what the, uh, email subject line is, it says, Hey, it's that email I always said I was going to send you. And he writes, first off, I can't remember why I wanted to tell you guys this, but did you know that the competitive eating world record for mayonnaise is four 32 ounce bowls in eight minutes? I like mayonnaise as much as the next guy, but that's fucking gross. I really wish I could remember why I wanted you to know that, but, you know, something shiny. And so much for that right now. Moving on to the next horribly out-of-date subject, The Magnificent Seven. I don't know how to stop being so precious about the original. 1960 Magnificent Seven has been my all-time favorite western for as long as I can remember, and other than the fact that there were seven cowboys, the remake... Nah, I can't call it a remake... The 2016 Magnificent Seven has nothing to do with the original other than a couple of easter eggs they threw in. I wanted the knife scene, the three little kids that drew straws to put flowers on the grave, the audio scene at the end. Well, the knife scene was in the 2016 version, but might as well not have been. And you're probably thinking I hated the movie. I didn't. I thought it was an awesome modern western. I have no complaints about the movie other than when I had to roll my eyes at SPOILERS! Chris Pratt getting shot 23 times before blowing up the Gatling gun. I am buying this movie on Blu-ray when it comes out. I guess the whole point is, do you guys have any advice on how to quit being so precious about the original? Last thing, I just watched all the Saw movies, getting ready for the new one getting released. Made plans to go see it this weekend, but I couldn't find it at my local theater or any theater in Canada. No matter how many times I looked at the release date of October 27th, 2017, I needed someone to point out that it is 2016 right now. And the whole point of that was, I would like to suggest Saw as your 2017 Halloween series. Anyway, without making this email too much longer, I'm just going to say bye. Sent on my space phone. <laughs> on his space phone? Johnny, are you in yeah. space? <laughs> well, okay. So in terms of the soft franchise, we more or less covered the soft franchise in one... In, it was either last year or the year before for our uh, uh, Hollywood horror cast. Right? Uh, no, we, we covered it... Um, yeah, for a three-squared because we talked about our favorite... Uh, Saw franchise movies. Yeah, favorite horror franchise. So from 2013's Hollywood HorrorCast, our favorite horror franchises and our three favorite films within them. And we both picked, because I went back and listened, Uh I, we both picked Saw, but we picked completely different movies in the Saw franchise. So we literally kind of covered the whole Saw franchise by accident <laughs> in one episode um back in 2013. So... I don't know that we'll go back to do each individual movie again. We might. We could, I suppose. But um, if you need to get your saw fixed that way, please go back and check out... Uh, let's see here. I will go back one more time and look that up for you. Episode 46. That would be episode 46, if you were interested. Yeah, long time ago. Long time ago. Um, and... Okay, I would say in terms of the whole Magnificent Seven thing, um, I think that the, all of the things that you pointed out is exactly what makes 2016 so good, uh, in my opinion, because it doesn't try to reinvent the wheel. It simply brings everything up to date, which means that it gives those nods. It gives those winks and nods. It does a couple of the things that the original movie did and follows kind of a, a beat structure. But it doesn't do a shot-for-shot shot remake so that it can stand on its own two legs, which is something that I just so enjoyed about that movie. So I think the fact that you're being so precious about it shows that, magnificent 7 2016 did its job which means it's supposed to be its own movie but not not keep you from wanting to watch the 1960 version and that's and that's true whether or not you think that the 60 version is better or not so so i i don't think you have to worry about being precious about it as you so eloquently put it uh any thoughts there tim
1: I think what you said is right. I can get behind that. Uh, if you enjoyed the movie, that's great. I mean, they they did something right. But I like that they didn't completely remake the original beat by beat. So, I, I mean, I too prefer the original. But I, I do like the, the differences and the different avenues that the remake took.
0: Exactly. And if you want to, and if you want an object lesson in why you don't do a shot for shot remake, um, go look at Psycho. I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> Cause, well, you know, well, maybe they just got bad actors and actresses and, um, bad director and other things too. But, um, as far as an object lesson. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, there's just no it, point because that was like a shot for shot remake. I mean, they actually
0: took. Hitchcock
1: script and completely reshot. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: And I I mean, and, and, uh, bless their hearts. I get why they did it though. Because again, we have too much of a problem in the world today with people not wanting to go back and watch old movies. And it's just a damn shame because, um, that's why we get the remake trash because nobody, and, and please don't misunderstand. I, you guys know how much I loved magnificent seven so i'm not saying that was a remake trash but we get a lot of remake trash because people aren't willing to go back and watch the original movies and so at least the thought process behind it was okay let's not change anything so that people will go see movies with stars who people know and want to go see today and yet can get that psycho experience um so yeah <laughs> but, uh, maybe, maybe even in the light of that, maybe you shouldn't have picked a movie that, um, it's so goddamn important that you don't know the ending when you go into it. Um, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> Anyways. All right. So thank you very much for the mail, John. I appreciate it, of course, as always. And how about some news of the weird, sir?
1: Sounds good. I am actually going to forego my news of the weird due to time. What?
0: No. No, you may not. <laughs> no, I would rather you do yours than me do mine. Are you kidding? No, we no. yours is just way too goddamn good. Okay,
1: I can do this one pretty quick.
0: All right, so I'm not going to do News of the Weird then. Just just him. Ready? Go.
1: <laughs> Via gizmodo.com. I'm, I'm not going to read the title of it right now, but this article is written <laughs> by Michael Nunez, and it says this. This surgery sounds like a total nightmare. According to a new Tokyo Medical University hospital report, a patient's fart during surgery apparently caused a fire that led to serious burns on her body. The fart fire incident originally occurred all the way back in April, but a report was just released on October 28th by a committee of, quote, Outside experts, end quote, who looked at the case and determined there were no flammable materials in the operation room during surgery, according to Japanese newspaper the Asahi Shimbun. <laughs> the patient, who was in her 30s, was receiving an operation at the Tokyo Medical University Hospital in the Sinjuku Ward that involved using a laser to perform surgery. According to a report from the hospital, quote, "...when the patient's intestinal gas leaked into the space of the operation room, it ignited with the iridation of the laser and the burning spread, eventually reaching the surgical drape and causing the fire." End quote. The committee also determined that the equipment used in the operation was functioning normally, so it couldn't possibly be to blame during this unfortunate incident. So, if you're ever in the situation where you need to undergo laser surgery, maybe try eating something light before the doctors put you under. End all quotes there, In the name of that article was, "...fart blamed for causing a fire during surgery at a Tokyo hospital." Uh, again, written by Michael Nunez from gizmodo.com. I must point out, though, it, you know the, the title of this article does use the word fart, but I will say, it, according to the Japanese newspaper who originally published this incident, used the same lingo. So it's kind of interesting how they don't even say the expulsion of gas because it doesn't have the same flame as fart blamed for surgery due to coming into contact with a laser. How about that, Matt? If you ever have to go through some kind of surgery near your anus, with the use of a laser beam, will you now be a little freaked out by it? Would you possibly go on a no-bean diet for at least five months? Oh.
0: (laughs) Um, I will say this. I will have somebody put a cork in there and then, like, duct tape that shit. Because there's no way that I'm gonna let that happen to me, um, but maybe I would pop some Beano. take tums. I don't know before I go under, because that's just, or, you know, or or maybe somebody should look into what the hell that woman was eating, I, <laughs> that there was that much meth, and
1: put it in big bold letters whenever you you receive that brochure to like prep you for the next day. Stay away yeah, from possible this. side
0: effects include.
1: Burning the place down.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's awesome. That was great. (laughs) Woman farts and lights herself on fire in an OR. That's fantastic. (laughs) All right. uh, Let's see here. Okay, well, then let's go ahead and jump into some real news. What do you say? Sounds good. All right, folks. Here we go. It's the news. to do two news pieces because i realized that tim was correct we are already pretty far along on time here i wasn't paying attention uh because i really was wanting to hear about <laughs> the news of the weird uh from new york Times.com by way of brooks barnes uh inferno is director ron howard's fourth domestic flop yes you heard that right uh let's see here one of hollywood's most established directors ron howard an oscar winner in 2002 for a beautiful mind came up dreadfully short again at movie theaters in the united states and canada over the weekend meanwhile a director at the start of his career barry jenkins blew off the art house doors with his moonlight. Mr. Howard's Inferno, which cost Sony Pictures and, loan, and L-Star Capital roughly $75 million to make, not counting tens of millions in marketing costs, managed to sell only about $15 million in tickets during, uh, what is going on here? Hang on one second. Um, <laughs> Firefox is freaking out on me here. Sorry, guys. Uh, let's see here. Managed only 15 million in tickets during its first three days in theaters, according to Comscore, which compiles box office data. Even more humiliating, Inferno, which stars Tom Hanks and Felicity Jones, was beaten by the second weekend of Tyler Perry's low-cost boo, A Madea Halloween, which repeated as the number one multiplex draw. Ooh yes, boo! The seventh installment of the Medea series collected an estimated 16.7 million for Lionsgate for a two-week total of 52 million dollars. Inferno, which received scorchingly bad reviews, has taken in a sturdy 135 million in two weeks of release overseas, Sony said on Sunday. But the North American movie market remains the world's largest, and Mr. Howard has now delivered four domestic flops in a row his last hit angels and demons was in 2009 holy crap that was seven years ago since then he has delivered in the heart of the sea rush the dilemma and now inferno which is a bummer because i know that i enjoyed rush i'm pretty sure tim you enjoyed rush as well um and then of course moonlight is just a small film that uh has already gotten a million dollars out of 36 theaters uh, over the weekend. So that's the big buzz on that. And it follows a, this movie follows a young black man as he struggles to find his place in the world. So, um, you know, it could still lose out if it went to wide release. We don't know, but, um, it's just kind of sad that in the big strongholds, this small ass movie did a million bucks and Inferno does 15. Um, and when I say small the the, the moonlight film that only made a million dollars was in thirty six theaters. Inferno did fifteen million and it was in three thousand five hundred and seventy six so um i don 't know Tim what do you think has Has Howard lost his touch? I just think the the third
1: installment of the Robert Langdon franchise came out way too late. Angels and demons kind of rode the high of the Da Vinci Code, I thought the Da Vinci Code came out at a good at a reasonable at a good time. I didn't think the Da Vinci Code was the greatest movie. I went to go see Angels and Demons. I didn't think Angels and Demons
0: was a well, super great movie. I got to say though, I think that's been part of the problem with this franchise because Angels and Demons is the first book.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Know and
0: then was the Da Vinci Code, and then they skipped the third book and went straight into the fourth book, Inferno for the movie. So, I mean...
1: Well, I think Sony was trying to ride the wave that Inferno just came out. The book came out, what, like two years ago or three years ago? Because that's what they're about to do with a, a Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, is that they're instead of doing the second and third book, they're just going to go ahead and do the fourth book, which actually Stig Larson didn't even write. That came out, I think, last year.
0: It is really weird. I just, yeah, I mean, I don't know, before we get too far down this road. I I just, I'm not sure why they're thinking that these movies are going to do as well as they are, especially coming so far down the road uh, from The Da Vinci Code.
1: And especially releasing it on Halloween weekend. I mean, of course, Boo Medea's Halloween's going to do better, because it's a Halloween-themed movie coming out in a in a weekend or during a month when there are no other halloween themed movies so i think more people are gonna pay the eight nine bucks to go see that movie over inferno which is two hours and ten minutes and uh, you know and more likely they're not gonna have the thrill ride i guess that they thought that that they were gonna have with the first two movies that probably just let them down
0: yeah I think that's a, fair, I think that is a very fair assessment. So,
1: But I think it's fair to say that there's not going to be a fourth movie.
0: <laughs> I agree. All right, sir, what do you got for us?
1: First up for me via Collider.com, Mel Gibson has an hour of footage from Braveheart that's never been seen. It turns out that he has an assembly cut that runs just over three hours and 45 minutes the only issue keeping us from not actually seeing this cut is because there hasn't really been a demand for an even longer version uh how long is Braveheart let me okay so Braveheart is two hours and 58 minutes Matt would you want to see a three hour and 45 minute cut of Braveheart do do you even like Braveheart
0: love it yes absolutely I own it. You do own it? I do own it. Well, absolutely.
1: And I said that the that, that's just the assembly cut. And actually, they uh, they cut the movie down even more to three hours and 15 minutes. So more than likely, instead of actually us being able to see the three hour and 45 minute cut, we will more than likely be able to see the three hour and 15 minute cut. But still, I mean, that's a good 30 minutes of extra, possibly more mooning and more arrows heading towards that mooning i just wanted to mention that to get that out there so if you, if you want to see an extended cut of braveheart get in touch with paramount you know everybody we we all know their phone numbers right just just call paramount and demand that special edition version of that movie My next bit of news here, Matt, I know you are familiar with this. I'm very interested in what you have to say about this via Thrillist.com. Netflix's CEO suggests hallucinogenic drug could replace TV and movies. This is written by Tony Merovic, and it says this. With the recent rise of consumer virtual reality platforms, major hints of big things to come in the realm of augmented reality and the ever-evolving gaming landscape. It's clear the future of entertainment is going to be spectacular thanks to technology. The CEO of Netflix, however, recently suggested the movies and TV shows we enjoy today might someday be replaced by something, well, pharma, uh, well, pharmacological. Well, pharmacological. <laughs> oh, God. Well, pharmacolo- pharmacological advanced hallucinogenic drugs. I got there eventually, folks. In a recent WSJD Live interview, Netflix CEO Reed Hastings speculated about the types of entertainment we'll consume instead of movies, TV shows, and other traditional media in the next in several decades, saying, quote, Is it VR? Is it gaming? Is it pharmacological? <laughs> yes, pharmacological! <laughs> you know, as in drugs. When asked to elaborate, Hastings joked that all you'll have to do is take a couple of pills to experience entertainment sometime in the near future, according to a report by Engadget. Quote, in 20 or 50 years taking a personalized blue pill, you just hallucinate in an entertaining way, and when a white pill brings you back to normality, is perfectly viable, in quote, Hastings said, quote, if the source of human entertainment in 30 or 40 years is pharmacological, we'll be in real trouble." End quote. With that said, it doesn't sound like Netflix has any intentions of getting into the pharmacology business or creating something that sounds startlingly similar to the matrix. But hell, quote, "Netflix and Trip end quote end quote does have a nice ring to it. Right? Matt, what do, you, what do you think about this? I, I kind of find it funny how uh, the CEO, he just says that you just hallucinate in an entertaining way, uh, when really, whenever you hallucinate, more unless you're tripping badly, you are hallucinating in, a, in an entertaining way. I think both of those kind of already go hand in hand. Uh, I mean, do you think this is feasibly possible, or even do you want to be able to trip and watch a movie? I, I really don't see how this would work personally
0: i don't know my personal feeling is is that despite anything that's in the article netflix is ready to go into the lsd business that's here enjoy this while you watch this episode of uh of black mask or whatever um so instead
1: of getting blu-rays and dvds in the mail you might be getting a red envelope of pills
0: yeah you'll get you'll yeah instead of getting blu-rays you get blue pills (laughs) so there you go funky that's awesome Indeed. All right, this is my last piece of news from DigitalSpy.com. By way of Hugh Armitage, Michael Fassbender is playing two characters in Alien Covenant. Yes, Michael Fassbender's sinister droid David was one of the undeniable highlights in Ridley Scott's divisive Prometheus. So it's great to hear that he's coming back for Alien Covenant in not one, but two roles. The actor revealed to the Irish Times that he will return as David as well as playing another robot, Walter. The second character probably increases his chance of having more to do in the movie than be a decapitated head tucked under Numi Rapace's arm. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I think, actually, you know what? I think we should stop there. There's not a whole lot left to the article, but that's that's kind of the idea at this point. So what do you think, Tim? Are you are you more inclined to see Alien Covenant now that you know that Michael Fassbender will have two roles in the movie instead of just one? I
1: was gearing up to see Alien Covenant back when I just thought he was going to play Decapitated Head.
0: I'm very well, much looking I forward to this movie. Same. I Look, I guess maybe I was just in the wrong theater, but I fucking enjoyed the shit out of Prometheus. I thought it was a fantastic movie. So I guess maybe I was the only one. Um, I guess I can put that up there for I'm the only one who liked that. The next time we do it, but um, you know, I th- I, yeah. I think
1: a lot more people like the movie than definitely than
0: don't like it. I mean, it gets
1: like a lot of crap from from very uh, what what am I thinking of? Very uh, wordy critics, you know, people who just like to bitch and complain. Those type of people will really like to put down Prometheus.
0: Fair enough. All right, well that's my news, sir. What do you got? All right. Lastly, via.
1: Metronews.ca, the Toronto Metro. The market is dead. Schlock director Yu Boll's rampage of terrible films is finished. Hallelujah. 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 Ah. Written by Richard Kroos, it says this. The critics won't have U. Boll to kick around anymore. The German filmmaker who once played Adolf Hitler in an action comedy film called Blubberella. <laughs> is best known for adapting video games like House of the Dead, *Blood Rain*, and Dungeon Siege into movies. He's never had an easy ride with reviewers. The San Francisco Chronicles' Peter Hartlob called Alone in the Dark, quote, a film so mind-blowingly horrible that it teeters on the edge of cinematic immorality, end quote, and earned the nickname The Raging Bowl after challenging his worst critics a, quote, put-up-or-shut-up, end quote, boxing match he knocked out each of his four opponents landing a blow for everyone who has ever suffered a bad review now he's done the release of rampage president down is his swan song the final film he will direct he says in part because his politically charged movies have quote no impact end quote rampage 3 will be watched on netflix dvd or itunes or whatever he says quote they'll say That wonderful movie, I liked it. Blah 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 blah. Then watch Avengers. With streaming everywhere, there is just a big wave of movies flooding around, and you have no impact. The market is dead. He adds, "You don't make any money anymore on movies because the DVD and Blu-ray market worldwide has dropped 80 percent in the last three years. That is the real reason. I just cannot afford to make movies." Quote, I can't go back to student filmmaking because I have made so many movies in my life and I can't make cheaper and cheaper movies at my age. It's a shame. I would be happy to make movies, but it's just not financially profitable. End quote. Bowl says he's been self financing his films for well over a decade. Quote, I never had people giving me money, End quote, he says. Quote, I've been using my money since 2005. And if I hadn't made the stupid video game based movies, I would never have amalgamated the capitals so I could say, let's make the Darfur movie. I don't need a Ferrari. I don't need a yacht. I invested in my own movies and I lost money, End quote. He may have gone in the hole on films like Attack on Darfur and Assault on Wall Street, but he's proud of their grit and realism. The article does go on from there and I do recommend you to check it out. Uh, first and foremost, I would like to know if any of our listeners are big fans of U-Bull. It's safe to say, in that do correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe it is safe to say that U-Bull is, is losing money because I think people are just getting tired of seeing the same shit over and over and over again. Now, I will have to say I've never seen a U-Bull movie from start to finish, but I think I'm willing to give his swan song a try Matt, what do you think? Do you have anything to say about this?
0: No, thank God. It's about, this is about ten movies too late. So um, that's that's pretty much all I have to say. It, it, he's, he's a shitty director. I don't need to go into a boxing ring with him to know that he's a shitty director. And, um, you know, he made whatever movies he's made. He's made whatever money he's going to make. And that's now he's retiring. And I hope that he finds whatever it is he's looking for in retirement. The just end.
1: shit. Just a bunch of shit.
0: <sighs> Basically.
1: Just look at his pants and he'll just find shit.
0: Alright, well that brings us to the end of the movies and uh, now we'll proceed to the Ultimate, Ultimate. Yes, and, uh, this time on Ultimate Let Down, Tim and I have different films to talk about. Interestingly enough, though, they're from the same year. that That's kind of fun. That was an accident, but hey, a happy accident, as it were. Happy little accident. Just paint little happy little trees. Lazy little river. Um, and so mine is <laughs> 1979's Star Trek The Motion Picture. Now, I understand that this was this is a, a an ultimate letdown for quite a few people, but you have to understand that um, when I first finally got to watch this movie, it was nineteen ninety and I had uh, really just gotten uh, back into Star Trek um, when I was really little, I watched the reruns of the original series. And by the time I was say 10, 11, I'd kind of fallen out of it. Um, wasn't really into the next gen at that point. Um, and let's face it. I mean, the first season did leave a lot to be desired. Okay. Um, and, and so I had finally started getting back into it though and was really excited. We, and we had just gotten, uh, uh, the first few movies and everything. And so I'm like, cool. I'm going to sit down and watch these bad boys, uh, and knock them out. And so I sit down and I, uh, prepare myself for Star Trek the motion picture. And then I am saddened by the 132 minutes of, huh? Because it's just boring as fuck, yo. Uh, they tried way too hard on the special effects, and then they forgot that they needed to have an actual story to tell. Um, they, they took something that could have been just an episode of Star Trek. Um, and not even one of the better episodes of Star Trek, which would have been about 43 minutes at that time. Uh, because, you know, they were shortening, as we all know, they've been shortening the amount of, content in an hour long episode i think we're down to like 41 minutes or something um and instead of making it a 45 minute show or whatever they made it two hours and fucking 12 minutes no thank you i was just so disappointed uh it literally took my stepdad coming back around and being like no you really got to give the second one a chance please give the second one a chance um and i was like i don't know man this is man this is, this is like no i I really think you'll like the second one i really think you'll like the second one so i was like all right so thank god i stuck around and watched the second one because that's my favorite that is my favorite of the original cast star trek movies star trek Two: wrath of con holy fucking shit balls, that movie is amazing and part of it is probably because of the massive goddamn drag that is star trek the motion picture which basically finds uh the crew kind of reassembled on the now retrofitted um well not retrofitted, basically just the completely remodeled, ref, ref, refashioned uh Enterprise and they take it on a they take it on their big adventure to go find V'ger. Uh or Veger or whatever the fuck its name was. So yeah, it's not worth it. The bald chick was hot but creepy. Ultimate Letdown, 1979, Star Trek, the motion picture. What do you got there, Tim? She was hot but creepy.
1: (laughs) So my film comes from 1979 as well. March 28th, 1979, on a budget of $300,000, it made a whopping $12 million. Over time, I believe, I don't think that's how much it actually made all in its uh, original run. Because it became a cult classic. Uh, It actually did pretty well when it did come out. But over time, it became a cult classic, especially for its director, Don Cossacarelli, who went on to make four other films based on the same characters and the story. Uh, The film is, of course, Phantasm. It's loved by many, hated by Many, <laughs> but mainly loved. I mean, really, if you go on any message boards, uh, read any reviews, if they're not at all uh, loving the movie, they are at least commending the film on how well it was made and the good intentions uh, that the director had for the film. Uh, the director, I, I call him Kelly, but it's Don Coscarelli. He was, I think, 25 when he made this movie, and they just made they just released the fifth one, Phantasm Ravager, uh, this year. So he's, he's been building this story or telling this story for well over 79, let's see, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, for nearly 40 years now. So, of course, there is a following there because he has to make some money. In fact, other than directing all of these movies, he directed Bubba Hotep, in 2002. John dies at the end in 2012. And that's pretty much it. Oh, Survival Quest from 1990, 1988. But other than those films, he's just mainly been working on Phantasm movies. Uh, the second one came out in 88. The third one, 94. The fourth one, 98. And then, of course, uh, Ravenger this past year. Which he only uh, wrote the last one. Uh, Phantasm is not necessarily a complicated film to follow. Uh, it's just incredibly slow, and I just want to make sure I get everything right. So I'm, I'm going to read you the the opening paragraph via Wikipedia as to what the film is about. Phantasm is a 1979 American horror film directed, written, photographed, co-produced, and edited by Don Coscarelli. It introduces the tall man, played by Angus Scrim, a supernatural and malevolent undertaker who turns the dead into dwarf zombies to do his best. And take over the world. He is opposed by a young boy, Mike, played by Michael Baldwin, who tries to convince his older brother, Jody, played by Bill Thornberry, and family friend, Reggie, played by Reggie Bannister, of the threat. And that's pretty much it. The movie, again, is slow moving. I've been hearing about this movie for many, many years. I tried watching this back in, I think, 2008 for the first time, and I think I fell asleep within the first five minutes. Really didn't think it was the movie's fault. I just think maybe I was just tired. So I thought in the month of October, I'm going to give this and the whole franchise a shot since the new one just came out. So I sat down to watch Phantasm. It took me about three days to watch it. And need I say more? Uh, The movie definitely is a labor of love. I believe it was Roger Ebert who said in his review that it's not a good movie. It's slow, but he cannot help to admit that it is a labor of love and that it's shot expertly and skillfully and that there is good talent behind it it's just not a strong story and it's not even particularly scary the movie did however just to show you how big of a fan base it does have um, the movie did go on to inspire supernatural the tv show supernatural a nightmare on elm street and one dark night. Also, the character of the Tall Man influenced the character of the Slender Man. Due to the clothing, which of course, since he's an undertaker, he's wearing the black suit. And he's tall, and not really slender, but he's tall enough to be super ominous and creepy. Usually walks pretty slow, and he just watches you from afar. So, the movie does have its following. The critics really just didn't care too much for these films. And that is why... I find that Phantasm, to me, is an ultimate letdown. Yeah, I can see why people like it.
0: The end. So our picks were uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture and Phantasm, also. uh, Both of these from 1979. And, uh, next week we're gonna be revisiting a three squared that we did about a year ago this time, uh, which was forgotten actors with three examples of their work. Only this time, because we left it open, we're going to do forgotten actresses with three examples of their work. So these are act, these are gonna be actresses who, um, have faded from the public consciousness for one reason or another. Maybe they did bad things, or maybe they had a really good career at first, but it just fell off. Or maybe they've just, they just retired quietly when they felt that they were done so um, that's what we'll be doing for our bonus episode for next week it'll be a nice three squared that uh, i think we'll be looking forward to and without further ado i believe it is now time for the movies Is it not sir yes sir all right then folks here we go it's the movie <laughs> movies for this week are jack reacher never go back and the accountant uh where which one would you like to do first sir how about your favorite movie of 2016
1: jack reacher jack <laughs> sphincter
0: I, I i never could i you know what bothers me most about this movies what's that is that it sounds like his name is ja and his last name is creature okay I just that's how I hear it in my head every time that I read it I don't think it's Jack Reacher I think it's Jack Creature Jack Reacher see do you see how that works I don't know. <laughs> anyway it makes it hard to like the makes makes, makes it hard to like the uh, like like the character anyway Alright, so, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back is a 2016 American action thriller films directed by Edward, uh, Edward Zick and written by Zick, Zwick, uh, Renard Wenk, and Marshall Herskovitz. Uh, it is a sequel, of course, to 2012's Jack Reacher and it stars Tom Cruise and Kobe Smulders. I heard, z- I heard Zit and Wenk. Indeed. Uh, Patrick Hughesinger, <laughs> Aldous Hodge, Danica Yarosh, and Holt um, McColony. And, of course, the movie is uh, following Jack Reacher, uh, played by Tom Cruise. He's off doing his own thing now, uh, writing whatever wrongs that he wishes to write. And uh, in the process of which, he comes across a, a young lady by the name of Major Susan Turner. And they kind of... Uh, uh, you know they kind of build a rapport with each other even though they never really met he decides to go and meet her at which uh which point he finds out that she's been arrested for espionage and he knows that that's just bullshit so he decides to figure out what's going on and it turns out that there's a big old conspiracy again and he's off to figure it out and on a side note he might be a dad here's the thing about this movie it's not that it's a bad movie it's got Quite a few things to, to like about it. Um, the action is solid. Uh, the, all of the acting, uh, well, all of the acting by Tom Cruise and Kobe Smulders is really good. Um, but I really think, and, and even by some of the, um, and even by some of the supporting cast, um, is, is pretty darn good. I think it just suffers from lifetime movie syndrome. In that it just expects too much for so little, all right? It just wants you to be invested simply because you should be, um, not because it gives you a reason to, much like a Lifetime movie does. You're just supposed to care because it's supposed to speak to you, and then when it does, well, great um but much like a lifetime movie unless you're already in that zone it's not going to do anything for you and it really comes out in the writing the writing is just really really bad and so you've got good actors and actresses for the most part the kid has got to go though the kid the samantha chick who's played by danica yarosh um just know she's you know sorry she's not she's not working for me um it's the writing is really, really bad because in it, in its effort to simply just kind of be an action thriller for the sake of being an action thriller, it forgets that even action thrillers need some semblance of a real plot, especially when you're trying to advance it as something that's more than just your standard shoot 'em up, beat 'em up and conspiracy action thriller that you've got. And that's really where the movie falls short. It's got some good moments in it. Um, it's a it's simple to watch it's easy to do but you just find yourself asking so many questions um and not that they're plot holes exactly but just because this story is never really developed enough so it's a likable enough movie and um for me it really is an exercise in the popcorn flick i'm sorry johnny i know you hate that term but um you just kind you don't you you don't ask questions you know you just accept what you see you just look at the mindless uh action and entertainment and you're supposed to accept it for what it is and if you're doing that with a tub of popcorn in your hand kind of makes it a popcorn movie 2.75 out of 5 it's likable enough but it just really isn't a full like what do you got there tim
1: i just discovered my drunken text to you the night i was watching this
0: <laughs> did, did you know the the, the which which scene right yeah mm-hmm.
1: i was just writing down a couple things
0: so oh, oh yeah you uh, colby jack colby <laughs> jack. You, you're, you're gonna write down colby jack
1: no i'm not writing <laughs> down colby jack um so <laughs> my 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 main pr- critique is very similar to yours is that the movie I just wanted this to be a fun action Tom Cruise romp, very much like the first movie. I thought the first Jack Reacher movie was that fun Tom Cruise action romp, but it had a decent story to it. You know, you had the over the top villain, and uh, but but the general story was kind of like an early nineties had an early 90s believability to it like you you knew you knew it was it couldn't actually happen but it's just so entertaining to watch that you're willing to take whatever it's going to throw at you this movie it has potential you're kind of thrown into like the generic into generic sequel territory and very tropey plotting like the whole Oh no, I'm being accused of this? I gotta run from the people that I used to trust, slash used to work for, slash I'm glad I have this hot, cute woman that I can trust to to run along with me so we can have this witty banter, really, you know, this witty, sexy banter with one another as we're running and after we finish running and as we decide to run some more... I guess what I'm trying to get at is that this movie just has so much running in it. They're running a lot and it's the same camera movements when they're running. They're running past the camera as the camera is going past them and one of them says something. And then they turn a corner and the camera passes them again as they're running past the camera and the other one says something. And it just happens throughout most of this movie until something else happens and they have to run again! It's the great Jack Reacher marathon throughout, through, uh, what fucking city are they in? Washington? Throughout Washington, D.C. But I think what really bogs this movie down, other than the running and other than the tropey narrative, is The daughter stuff. The dumb daughter stuff is what I wrote down. You throw in this girl who you think you're gonna get rid of her pretty quick until you realize, oh no, she might be his daughter. Oh no, she serves a purpose because they can't get rid of her. And oh no... Something is missing from Jack Reacher. His character's missing something. He needs a family. We need to explore his family. So, of course, once you realize that this girl is snippy, this girl has banter, and no, this girl, this girl's not going anywhere. This is possibly his missing link. So, of course, she's going to stick around for a period of time. That's what I just don't like. <laughs> That's what bugged me. So much is that this movie this type of movie doesn't need anything like that we don't need a family drama not necessarily saying that this is a family drama but once you incorporate something like this especially with the girl who's not and you know i don't mean to sound mean or anything who's not the strongest actor it could very well be the character and the writer's fault once you throw that into the mix, the movie ceases to go anywhere else. Because now we have to figure out who this girl is, what is, how's this girl tied to the story? Why does he care so much about this girl? Why, you know, and why is she being set up the way she's being set up? It just really goes nowhere after that. Uh, when it comes to the entertainment department, I just didn't care for this movie. Two out of five for me. I just every role I felt was miscast right up to Tom Cruise. I thought this was the roughest he has looked in any movie. Uh, this is even after rogue nation, which I thought he looked a little rough, uh, rough around the ears and rug and rogue nation. He definitely looks more out of place displaced in this film. We just got to move on from Jack Reacher two out of five for me.
0: And fair enough. Yeah. I, I like, I like I said, when we were texting about it, I think that, um, Tom Cruise has just hit the age wall um, and it's not that he should never do action again. I just think he needs to stop doing exclusively action. I think if there's stuff that has um, like, honestly, like what what we're about to talk about, like the accountant, um, that that's a nice blend of um, true action moments with um, pacing and other kinds of action things, you know, some gun shooting and, and what have you that, doesn't involve you having to be actiony all the goddamn time so anyways all right so that leaves us with 2016's The Accountant uh, an American drama thriller film directed by Gavin O'Connor and it's written by Bill Dubuque or Dubuque uh and starting and starring starting starring Ben Affleck Anna Kendrick J.K. Simmons John Bernthal Jeffrey Tambor and John Lithgow um so the film follows an autistic dude who grows up to be a certified public accountant that basically uncooks the books for the most dangerous people in the world, uh, and yet somehow manages to survive. And uh this is, it's kind of a two-pronged approach. He goes after, he's actually trying to take on a legitimate client, um, to kind of take it easy for a bit and lay low but at the same time he's being tracked by the treasury while at the same time it turns out that this uh wonderful company that he's been working for is not all that it seems a few things to say about this movie one i uh, john bernthal is kind of turning into um jason statham at this point (laughs) homeboy just plays the same goddamn character Every fucking time, you know what that's okay i I like him, and it it just I feel kind of bad because he's never going to get any range so um, maybe he's accepted that, and that's okay um, but it would be nice just once to see if he could do something different um, the movie in and of itself is a very solid effort uh it, it's got a lot of good things going for it. I actually went and saw it in theater and when I did I was surprised um it was almost full. Uh, it was a smaller theater, um, but still, even for a smaller theater three weeks in, I uh, was really impressed, uh, that it was almost, that, that it really was almost full. I want to say there's like maybe five or six seats that weren't taken. So that's pretty cool. I, I really thought that all of the performances were really well done. The only problem with this movie is that, uh, in, it, it really does, Uh, play it by the numbers. It's very, very safe in its execution, which much like, uh, the uninvited from last week makes it incredibly predictable. And you know what? Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes you just, you don't, you don't need to have that. And when you don't need to have that is when you've got good writing overall in terms of the physical dialogue. Again, because the story is too predictable, but the physical dialogue was good. Um, the interjections of humor um were very good of course the idea that someone who was autistic that could be able to do the things that ben affleck was doing was great i also like ben affleck in in this particular role i think he did a good job he wasn't hamming it up uh he i didn't think it was uh it was overdone or overplayed which is good and um You know, and, and, and I was joking with Tim a little bit about this before the show, but I also kind of thought this was his way of saying, see Ben Affleck, or Ben Affleck's going, see Matt Damon, I can do, I can do thrillers too. Screw you and your, and, and, and your born identity. So, anyways. Um, the only problem with the movie really, aside from it just being by the numbers, is, again, the ending is so goddamn predictable. You can see it coming a mile away. Um, But where it's supposed to be cute and snarky and funny, it is. Where it's supposed to be solidly acted, it is. And where it's supposed to be fun, it is. 3.75 out of 5. Bring us home, sir.
1: Probably the shortest review I have given in quite some time. I like the idea. I like the story. Ben Affleck's portrayal of Christian Wolf was good. It's a good character. You know, it was well played. I liked his little tics and mannerisms and... I liked how the backstory plays into or played into what his character turned into, but I thought the movie was too predictable and underwhelming in the payoff and as well underwhelming in the major steps that this film actually takes towards the payoff. I just thought it was hokey. Uh everything from the dad, the strict dad trying to teach his son, not necessarily teach his son a lesson but to help his son out because the world doesn't take what will not take it easy on him and that's kind of what you know uh, that that kind of cr- helps him create uh, his life choices in the future yada yada yada. The whole idea of who the bad who one of uh who his opposing hitman is and just all that stuff was just completely underwhelming i thought but there were things that i did like and overall the movie is a better made movie than jack reacher so i give it two and a half out of five i wanted it to be more like its trailer so that's it
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, fair, fair enough i guess um all right well um that is, that brings us to the end of the movies then. And next week's movies. Well, I'm, I'm hoping we've got a good lineup here for you. Because next week's movies are Doctor Strange and Hacksaw Ridge. Yes. So excited to see both of these movies. You have no idea. Um, and without further ado, I believe that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Early
1: spiel on!
0: <laughs> All right. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Choirs of Solace. You can check them out. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com both/slash cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can even follow us on Twitter at the SLScast Cast. You can also follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. And don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on itunes favorite us on sitch radio or even look us up on soundcloud nowadays and until next week this is matt saying that thanks to anna kendrick i get to say this i'm the person who wouldn't send back my food even if i got steak when i'd ordered fish hmm. take your cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week